can't believe Shuddy just said, here's a Bible to write on. And you didn't say, Demir, why the fuck is your Bible Well, out? I wasn't even paying attention to that. I think no, that's... but you can't write on the Bible, obviously. Why not? No, I didn't say write in the Bible. On, on, on. it. You can't put... I don't know if it's the same in Christianity, but at least in Islam... Well, I'm a Jew, so... <laughs> As a Jew, can you write in the Bible? That's part of your text I mean... <laughs> over there. No, but I think you guys are misunderstanding. It doesn't matter what religion right. you are. Oh, in front of Shadi, you can't write on a Bible? Is that what you're saying? In front of a Muslim, you can't write on a Bible? I'll get you another book. It's Elizabeth. when I can write on the table also. I mean, that's a... Uh... Okay, is, is that a real thing, Shani? Oh, uh, certainly for the Quran. I mean, you, uh, you're you not supposed to put anything on top of the Quran. Oh, I've been... Well, what if it's sitting sideways? Yeah, it, sideways is fine because then it's not on top of it. But what if there's books on top of it? Or I'm not even saying on a shelf on top of it. Sometimes I have so many books and I'm so sloppy, I slot books on the top of the side of the book. Well, you know? I don't think you'll go to hell for it in part because you don't believe in hell. That's part of it. <laughs> okay. Well, well, Jews don't go to hell either, so I think I'm safe. Yeah. That is, in, it's interesting you mentioned that. I've always found that confusing, <laughs> and I've talked to Jewish colleagues about it, including theologians. Uh, yeah. <laughs> including yeah. And it's something that I can't quite grasp because even among Jews themselves, they don't necessarily agree on how to perceive hell and heaven. Maybe we should talk about that some other time, though, yeah. and save that for an entire episode. I mean, why, I mean we, can, we can at least start talking about hell and heaven. <laughs> anyway, well, Elizabeth, well, I, why don't you just, do you need a book? I'll get you another book. I, I guess I do no, need no, another guys, book. I mean, <laughs> I've been informed that I'd need a different book. So. Well, here's a different book. Svetlana Alexeyevich's Secondhand Time. Is oh, that, that's an excellent also book. Also a kind of Bible of sorts. A Bible yeah, of wow. sorts. Not a holy one. Would you like to, Shadi, object? I mean, to write to write on a book about, about no, human it, it's rights? it's highly recommended, and we should actually include a link to it in the show notes yeah, for people. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Well, maybe we should take this opportunity to introduce the third person. You probably hear her voice. She's probably. Si- yeah, she's sitting here with us, and we're really happy to have her on. I um I don't know how to introduce her. No, I'll give it a shot. Okay. Give it a shot. Um, so our, our special guest is Elizabeth Zarovsky. She is a writer for various publications, including um, the New York the New Yorker. And we're, we're, what would you say is the other place you write for the most? Ah, uh, the Times, New York Times Magazine. Also. Oh, so just yeah. the most prestigious places <laughs> that have New York in their names. Well, it's taken me a couple of years to get to this point, but at this point, um, mostly, mostly for those two. I think I think yeah. you can just summarize her as as elite writer Elizabeth <laughs> Zorowski. I think right. I think that's that's well, a fair. It's not just yeah. It's yeah. not just that. It's a and until of... recently, she was reporting from. Germany and Europe more broadly. So um, you should check out her various dispatches from the European continent. So we'll probably um, uh, we'll probably include a link or two to things that you've written from from Germany. I, I mean, guess. but so, but you'll be, you'll, you'll keep writing from Germany. You're not, you're I not, will. yeah. 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 And I actually haven't been so much lately because I've, because I've been here, of yeah, course. Right. Um, and also and in, we'll Germany, talk... in Germany, everyone's on lockdown. So, right. right. Uh, you can... And that's part of what we want to talk about. Right. right. But, um, but there's a big German election coming up and there's, you know, there's just a lot happening, um, Lots of parts. Oh, of so Europe, we should definitely very... talk about the AFD, so the the far right party in Germany and the Greens. No, I mean, the, that's big, the, the big, big... stories. Have, have you been following the shotting? The, they've they've elected this forty yeah. year old woman who's going to like and trying they're... to unseat the white old fascists on the on the right, right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, <laughs> they're leading in the polls. I've seen yeah, most recently, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm always skeptical that the Greens are going to take it all the way. To the to the finish line because I feel like some of these formerly fringe parties, 
they get a lot of traction in the polls before an election, but then they underperform on the day of when people are like, oh, should we do we really want to be ruled by these green environmental uh, is she is she good? I can't tell. I, I don't think anyone can really tell. Actually, she doesn't have too much of like a. She's been a member of the Bundestag, but I don't think she has much of a record of being, you know, actually in government and that sort of thing so far. But I would think, you know, Shadi, I would say that normally that that's that that's true, right? You have this sort of, you know, sort of flirting with these new people, new parties, and that sort of thing. But at this point, I really wonder because um, because first of all, you know, climate change. Has become like the number one issue in Germany. Like it's you know okay, that's really weird to yeah. me. I, I, you know you know how it's, you know so Elizabeth, uh, we'll, we'll not to cut that off because yeah. I do want to talk about it. But I was going to say uh, if we were to do a cold open, we already did our cold open now. But usually we just cut in on a cold open. My cold open question would have been, what's a bigger hoax, climate change or COVID? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> no, but but anyway, continue. So like given given the fact that 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 like climate change is is now, you know, pan-European and pan-western like like and super And also, big you know, deal. if you'd said that like last summer for example, when people were really happy with Angela Merkel and that sort of thing, I would have yeah. said, "Okay, fine." But now, you know, I just I just don't know this. And the the guy that they picked is terrible, right? Like I mean, he's 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 not <laughs> beloved. Um, I think Lashay, that he's, he's he's not beloved by people who are actual like consider themselves like actual conservatives, and that's a big problem because yeah. you need to turn out your side. So if he's yeah. you know like he just he, he he had like a leadership challenge that he managed to swat down, but yeah. not convincingly, yeah. and they're down in the polls, and young person, and Greens, yeah. and COVID has been totally screwed up by the incumbents and stuff like that. Yeah. So. What happened yeah. to the climate since last summer? So everyone's ha- everyone's happy. With Merkel and climate, it's not like the climate COVID, got worse COVID. in like the last six months. COVID, I know, but cl- what does that have to do with the climate? Well, sh- the the Greens are for the climate, and, and they're also not the CDU, right? Yeah, who screwed up the COVID? Yeah. So the fact is, the climate's still an issue, but <laughs> Merkel's for the climate. She's like all good Germans. She's like yeah, climate exactly. is important. Yeah, but but like climate now. So these guys are perhaps slightly more legitimate on the climate because they're called the Greens. <laughs> and then on top okay. of that, and on top of that, the incumbent screwed up the COVID because of the yeah the COVID. It's funny that you. <laughs> I, I some people do call it the COVID. Really? I mean, um, yeah, it's the Querdenken. That's the German. My, my mom calls my mom calls it the COVID. Oh, I'm yeah. I don't know if you noticed that I when uh, we were talking the other week, but um, it's just like a de- de- definite article thing. Like sometimes you know people you know, add a definite article. Anyway, more importantly, um, one thing I don't quite get is climate is obviously an existential issue, but in the long run, not like right now necessarily. And it's interesting to me that people can get so worked up about an issue that doesn't have that kind of intimate relationship to people's everyday lives right now and it can still animate them to this extent as seems to be the case in germany and it's not quite something that i can relate to i i find it like the thought that i would wake up in the morning and think to myself this is what is going to be my defining issue and i suppose europeans are different in this regard um it is also somewhat disappointing to me to hear that Climate has displaced my pet issue as the number one concern in Europe. I would have preferred, and I'm partly joking here, of course, I would have preferred 
that Muslims and Islam remain the number one divisive issue <laughs> in European countries, but we're being taken over by the climate, apparently. Well, climate's not a divisive issue. <clears throat> it's a consensus issue. Yeah. Which also makes it odd because parties have less of an incentive to emphasize issues that are basically consensual. You want to be able to demonstrate that you're different than the other parties. Well, you know... I I think, you know, um, Greta Torn Tornberg, I can't say her name correctly. She has become like really, really, really big in Germany. Hmm. And in fact, you know, when she was like the last time there was a Davos meeting, like in early 2020, January 2020, I guess, like she was there and Trump was there. And I was informed by like Germans who attended the Davos summit that like they were much more interested in hearing Greta Thunberg speak than than Trump. That was much more important to them. And so the Fridays for the Future thing in Germany has been really big and like young people there have really adapted it as this like major, major thing. Um, What's and, Fridays for the Future? I don't even oh, know what that is. Oh. Yeah, I don't know about those. Oh, really? Wait, it, are they not doing that here? Were they doing that? I here? mean, they might be, but Shadi <laughs> is, is like an arch right winger at this point, so he doesn't know, and I just don't leave my house. So what's okay, Fridays? For, yeah, it's when school students walk out of school on Fridays and they go and march and protest for their, for their future. I mean, they make it oh, this God. question of like, That's this so is lame. our... God, I mean, what is wrong with Europeans? Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's is it? It's not, isn't it? Admirable, and I mean, I think you know, like obviously, you know, industry. The sort of German is very much Germany is very much a sort of industrial country still, right? It's very much its economy is is based on exports and and heavy industry to some extent. And so the fact that they are really, you know, that they're really thinking about these and, and these things and putting pressure on their their government is actually, you know But you know that Demir and I, we are skeptical <laughs> of climate change. No, no, but platitudes, like boilerplate kind of rhetorical flourishes that have no substantive meaning that are basically virtue signifiers that you're on the right side of history or the right side of a political divide. What what does it mean? I mean, who is against the future? I mean, industry. <laughs> industry is against the future. Capital. They Capitalism. Would, would they admit that, though, especially in light of woke capital? I don't know if woke... I mean, so there's actually a very interesting article I read today, which we don't have to get into, by Richard... Um, Hanania. Yeah, Richard Hanania, um, which is basically about how... Why is everyone liberal in America now? By everyone here, he means... All major institutions, all major corporations, all major professions are dominated to an extent that I couldn't even imagine. But he brings in the data. And so it's, you know, woke capital is part of this overall story that even bad corporations are, you know, getting on board. I don't know if it's quite to the same extent in a place like Germany, but... I mean, I, I, I want to ask you just a couple of things on that, but just to push back on that, right? I mean, the, the, the interesting thing about the green issue, from what I can tell, is that partly it's virtue signaling and partly it shows that you're hip and on board with young people, but partly it's like actually a huge opportunity for a lot of companies. Like as these regulations yes. shift, it creates like massive opportunities to, you know, as the marketplace changes, it creates winners and losers and you're competing for the new space that's open up for winners. So there's like a real like business incentive for a lot of these places to be that i i do think that that a lot of the you know there is something i mean i'd, I'd love to hear more about this you know worship of greta thunberg because yeah. that to me is that to me signals there is this something religious thing and in the european context i mean we always talk about the fact that you know this like denatured dereligized unreligious sort of place and it seems to me yeah in some ways you know west germany and especially urban west germany is like the epicenter of post-religious, but almost like pious in its German post-war, <laughs> like atonement for sins. So they just sort of project this kind of piety onto all sorts of things. 
including, you know, I think climate. So, I mean, I, I'm not surprised that, that Thurnberg is like that, that yeah. crazy popular, but it sounds a little religious to me. It's a little religious. I mean, I think part of it, you know, I mean, Germany is very dependent on like, it's like, it's car manufacturers mm. right and like the, it that like you know um fuel engines like that's just a dying industry like they just you just look at the numbers and if they don't adapt to that like they're going to be screwed economically aren't so they like, adapting though like i mean they are but but why i mean it's not just happening in a vacuum right mm. it's like because the pressure is being put you know there's there's pressure there's pressure um I mean, I don't want to draw a direct, a direct line, but also, you know, so there's, yeah, there's pressure being put on them both by the marketplace and, and, um, and, and politically. The yeah. But I mean, so like how, how connected is this? What, what was the, the movement after, uh, or like at the end of communism? Were, was those on Fridays also that they'd have those marches or was that on Saturdays when the, the church mm. would, would do those things in Dresden? And, you know, this was what like, or these preachers would take processions of people and it started out really small and Christian and then became this like this big movement that oh, ended that's up like a metaphor. That's what it I'm saying. It starts off Christian, then it becomes secular. That's, that's like that, Europe. That's the metaphor I'm trying to, to pull out. But I mean, like there's a, this tradition of, of again, this like displaced, you know, religiosity, at least in, in modern, you know, uh, very recent post-war Germany of, you know, this, this kind of, Taking this and, you know, taking to the streets, candlelight vigils, especially, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this, like, Fridays for the Future is somehow linked to that, that memory of the, you know, these, like, Dresden uprisings and, and, and things like that. But there's but, also, there's just much, a, like, a much closer sort of cultural attention to, like, to, like, you know, material usage and mm-hmm. waste and that sort of thing in a way that just doesn't exist here. And it's really shocking because, like, you know, when you go here, like, in in the States, you, like, you go to a Walgreens, you buy a toothbrush or something. They're like, oh, would you like a plastic bag with that? Like, let me double bag that for you. I'm going to put your toothbrush in a double plastic bag, which is totally unnecessary. But no one would here would think twice about it, whereas Germans would be just horrified by that. So, like, you can't get plastic bags at stores anymore. You just can't. And there's a very sort of, I think there's really a very, like, sort of quotidian attention to to the environment in that way that you know that we just don't have that here so this is somewhat speculative um but how much would you say this is a result of what demir is getting at this kind of vacuum that has been left by traditional religion i mean what what are germans like when you hang out with germans in this in a kind of anecdotal sense i mean this is obviously not very empirical do you get a sense that there is a gap of belief and ideology and that people are searching for meaning or um, or are just Germans or, let's say, I mean, the French have other things to fall back on. I mean, leisure. Sex. Yeah. Mistresses. Oh, the Germans have sex. Also. Oh, that's right. They have it in parks. They're nudists. <laughs> to be fair, that's not the perception that I think a lot of Germans? Um, people have of Germans, that Germans are very tight-lipped and tight uh whatever whoa <laughs> no, tight. i mean no they're not they're not necessarily known to be very libertine and oh my god <laughs> germans man? oh my god you yeah. ever seen cabaret no, no but german i mean again this is a stereotype that I, I would say americans have i mean um that germans are very orderly they like to have they like to follow rules sometimes to their detriment <laughs> <laughs> are other people's detriment no but but hold on i mean again maybe i'm different here because i'm not i'm first generation i spent a lot of time over there but germans are like they're you know maybe it ties into that sort of like weird hippie thing right like they're they're nudists they they like they love like being in parks they are and, and they just there's this very sort of matter of fact matter sort of, of fact, like sexual yeah yeah like this is the body this yeah. is what it That's does different to but like <laughs> no being comfortable with nudity is not the same as having sex all the time but we don't have to get into those I think distinctions have, i think they're related I do think they have a lot of and sex. And also there's though. just, there's no taboo. I mean, yeah. that's not true. There are certain cultural taboos, but like, for example, if you walk around Berlin, like 
you'll see advertisements for like dildo king everywhere. Yeah. Okay, but would... <laughs> but there's an argument that when you um yeah, yeah. when you normalize sex and make it into something which has less meaning and you remove the taboos, people are less attracted to the performance of it because it becomes it's just a thing. It's like playing tennis. It's like waking up in the morning and having coffee and then you're like, "Do I want to have coffee all the time?" Not necessarily because it's always there. Anyway, we don't have to go into all that. I have coffee all the time. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> And it is there. I think it is there, yeah. Uh, okay, but uh, you're, I mean, the bigger question is the vacuum, so maybe let's go. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that there's still, you know, there's still sort of like a cultural structure of the church that exists there in a way that it probably doesn't here and isn't really possible for it to exist here because Germany is just a less, like, less pluralistic. For example, like, if you're a taxpayer, you still pay taxes to your church unless you specifically opt out of it so like if you're born in, as a member of like the protestant church then some of your tax money automatically goes to the yeah. church so you're connected to it in that way um which is just you know unheard of unheard of yeah. here um and there's still you know there's certain things about the way for example this is this is my experience of course um it's somewhat anecdotal but i think it's probably fairly widespread that there's a certain there's a certain tradition there, you know, like Christmas is celebrated in a certain way and mm. you do certain things on certain days and you eat certain things on those certain days in a way that I just feel like is more, I don't know, it's more unified, more sort of here, everyone does whatever they want. They go shopping, they go to the mall, they, you know, they buy a lot of stuff. It, so it feels still more, there's like a more of a cultural structure, especially in the South, which was very Catholic. And I think that there is still, you know, if you look at the way the sort of relationship, and I'm getting into interesting territory here, but like the sort of relationship to authority and that that's, you know, some of that is really a kind of Catholic heritage that I think it's, I think it's still part of the culture. So you would say that to be German has a, it it is about a shared language, culture, a philosophical heritage, absolutely, and German philosophers, yeah. so on and so sure. forth. Um, because I feel like um, in in the interviews I did in Germany, um, I guess it's been a little while now, but I remember asking this particular question both to folks on the left and also in the AFD, because this this seemed to me to be part of the puzzle. And I got very different answers depending on who I was talking to sure. that the idea of being German is contested. And if you were on the left, you'd be more prone. You wouldn't put it quite this way, but this was oftentimes the implication that there's a certain kind of pride in not being proud, that you don't want to be too German or too outwardly yes. affirming of your German identity. And that Absolutely. itself... Is constitutive of the identity itself. I think that's that's absolutely absolutely true. Yeah. yeah, and I mean you see that in everything. I mean you're seeing that in in the vaccine, you know, debacle right now as well. Just well, tell to... us more about that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, before I mean I just want to touch a little bit more on this this environmental thing just to to sort of like nail yeah, it down no, a, a big... bit more. It's it's before we get to the vaccine stuff because I think it is it, it's. If not related, I think they're, they're, it's interesting in, in similar ways. Um, I mean, you've, you've also lived in France, for example. I'm yes. curious, like, uh, the question of environmentalism in Europe and then just more broadly. Is it different in Germany than it is in France? Like that attitude towards or is it mm. broadly Western European that you might identify this kind of stuff? My My – you know, I've, I've not lived in either of those countries. I've passed through them, uh, you know – 
several times in the last few years. Um, I get the sense the Germans are more kind of like they're more they're more granola y in some way than the French yes. are. But there's a a culture of environmentalism across Europe that is more embedded than it is here, even though the young generation here now, the sort of like rising Biden thing, the Green New Deal, it's become totemic here, but it's not practiced here in the same way. Is that fair? I think that's absolutely fair because yeah. I agree with you that, yeah, there's a little bit more of a maybe granola e culture in Germany, especially like on the German left and that kind of thing. But even in France, you know, I think you see much sort of more widespread concern about things like GMOs, right? Mm, like, right. is that? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. In French, it's OMG, but yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Genetically modified organisms. Yeah. So like they people, you know, in France, there's a lot of concern about, okay, we want all of our food to be marked um, GMO if it has GMOs yeah, in that's it. That's why they're all anti-vaxxers, though. That's why, like, Europe has, like, a massive anti-vax population. Yeah. Maybe that's what you were getting at yeah, because yeah. they're, like, afraid of, like, I don't even know what like facts and science, like, in this weird <laughs> counterintuitive way, even though there is a sort of technocratic... Um, a su- pr- premise in a, in a lot of these countries, well, you people pay attention to these things. Also, like the EU regulates uh, pesticides much more closely, right? And that's because they're responding. <laughs> one of the few instances in which they're responding to public pressure. I think people are really concerned about what you know. Um, it's slipping my mind right now. The name of the pesticide that's mm. used very widely, and there's a lot of pressure for the EU to uh, phase phase that out. And, you know, I mean, that's something that is it's sort of a niche concern, I think, in the United States, whereas in France and Germany, I think it's really pretty. It's so interesting. I mean, you know, like, my, again, I, I have no way to even prove this or even begin to think about it. I'm sure there's a way to prove it, like looking at the history of it. But, you know, you'd think you'd think that that like the distribution of concerned citizens is, you know, sort of evenly distributed. So my guess would have always been that that for whatever reason, uh, I don't know something about the, in fact, unaccountable bureaucracy ends up feeding in activists into it more. Yeah. That ends up then creating a sort of feedback loop with a certain activist community. Because I imagine there's, you know, organically there's, most people I just don't think care about these things until it's really drawn to their attention and like constantly reinforced. I mean, that's the sense I get, you know, even when I go, uh, you know, see my family and stuff back in, in Croatia, which is you know, further behind all these other Western European countries in the sensibility, but it's all still very much there. And I think it's, it, it feels like a kind of feedback loop that ends up happening somehow for enforcing this kind of both, you know, what Shadi's referring to this, like, you know, vax thing on the one hand, though, you know, Croatia is not having those issues right now. Uh, and, and in general, this kind of environmentalism as well. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, I actually think, um, some of it comes from a sort of place of, of actually of anti-Americanism, mm, like on the French mm, and German mm, left, no. because they see these things, you know, these pesticides are coming from American companies, yeah. GMOs, something that like they see Ameri- like running rampant in the United States. And that's something that's been imported, you know, into the sort of more tightly controlled European food market. So it, it, it's I think it's definitely tied into this kind of um, sort of skepticism or suspicion of like you know, American superpower trying to impose its, like, market ways on, on France. You know what's interesting? Whenever people go into detail about how the left actually is... You're repulsed. And you, no, it, you run know, into funny. the arms of your Christian no, colleagues. It's funny. The, the, like, the way that I've been able to, like, maintain this, um, 
this premise that I'm on the left is by like not talking to people on the left. Yeah. yeah. Because um, I'm able to Should like I be I- insulted by that. <laughs> Because, like, I'm able to, like, idealize them. And because I don't pay a lot of attention to... Shadi idealizes you, Elizabeth. (laughs) No, because, you know, and, um, you know, you focus on the most appealing figures like Bernie or AOC. But when you get into, like, the real lefties, the ones who are, like, unreformed, and, like, you read, like... Some Jacobin articles I like a lot because they're they're sort of heterodox and counterintuitive and they're actually challenging and orthodoxy. But when you get into like some of some of like the real leftist shit, especially on foreign policy, it's just like, wow, this is like a cesspool of bad ideas. <laughs> yeah. And the anti-Americanism is so I mean, thank God, like Bernie was not um, overly animated by that. And I didn't, and that's why it wasn't a huge issue for me that Bernie was like deep down, I believe, proud to be American. And he was so American through and through. Like he was just exuding a certain kind of Brooklyn style, like American pride or whatever. But a lot of the left just hates, like, especially in Europe, but also in a lot of other places. Yeah, let's not forget. I mean, you know, Bernie was so pro-American that he told Ezra Klein that that immigration is a Koch brothers plot because we need to protect American workers from foreigners. Yeah, thank you. That's yes. exactly right. Yeah, That's the I kind think, of leftism. But, but French French anti-Americanism, I think, comes from the same place as that, right? Mm, and mm. it's this sort of like dying empire. Like, yeah. no, we used to be the great power and now America thinks it is, but we don't like you for that reason. But like, the I, Germans are different and the European, the <laughs> EU spirit is the German spirit. I, I do think that. Yeah. Like, because the EU is born out of the ashes of World War II, out of the sins of the nation state and German, modern German identity is wedded to that, or at least seems to be, right? Is that is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's... Well, so, I mean, let, let, you know, so I, th- I think the anti-Americanism thing is a really good way to, to talk about this because so you you spent the entire pandemic over there. I was here a couple of times actually. I mean, but we saw much, you, except when we were hanging <laughs> except out. Except when we were Elizabeth, hanging out with you, she was you, in Germany. But but, but you know, but I mean, yes, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, mostly I, the reason yeah. I know you're here and we've hung out a few times since you've gotten here is like I texted something snarky about Germany eating shit over COVID and and you liked it on Twitter and I texted you immediately i was just like oh are you coming to get your vaccine as a citizen get your you know your 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 american privilege as a you know the it's the the equivalent of white privilege global white privilege is american privilege so you come joke. get your vaccine i don't joke there was a whole article in the wall street journal about americans who live in europe being guilty about coming back to the u.s for their vaccines and like the title was about Oh, Americans are soul searching. Is this right? Oh and I'm God. like, I, I, these are the people I hate the most in the world. <laughs> Americans. You're no, an I thought it was the laugh. Yeah. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> the sort of like softy COVID alarmist, like, oh my God, we're, we can't go and like meet up with one friend and we have to d- double mask in a park because, oh, <laughs> yeah. It's like they're so soft and sad and just depressive. Mm. Just get some backbone. Like, yeah. seriously, who are these people? People yeah. are fucking dying in the Middle East and you feel bad about traveling to your own country to get what you should get because you're an American. This is crazy. Yeah, I agree. But, but anyway, I so- did not feel bad. Also, I'm still, I still pay tax. I'm an American taxpayer. Of course. I mean, Every American's an American taxpayer. <laughs> yes. That's the thing. You can't, can't get away that. from it. Like, but, but so the, the, uh, uh, you know, you came back and you, you got your vaccine here, but you've spent most of your time or a good chunk of your time yes. over there. Yes. And so, you know, I mean, it's something that struck me when I was in Croatia for three months. It's just like how, like, incomprehensible the difference is from here and there. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and this was before the vaccines really started hitting. I came back uh, right before inauguration, after January 6th, but before the inauguration, I came back here. Um, and uh, already the, the vaccines were ramping up. And, you know, I've been in touch with my parents. Our, our mutual friend Ben Haddad was stuck in France for three months. And he was, you know, echoing all the same sentiments about, like, how insanely different it is. So, you know, first, obviously, it's great to see you. But, you know, I wanted to have you on to really talk about uh, that experience and just to like delve into that. And really, I think that's something that that people don't really appreciate how different it is. Mm-hmm. But what I'd also really like to, to just like, you know, um, get your, your thoughts on is basically, how do you think or how has it been so far? Uh, this difference, you know, the fact that America has, you know, for for all sorts of reasons, at the tail end of this is handling it much better. How's that like getting accepted over there? How's it even getting refracted through the consciousness of, you know, the, you know, the, the, the good Europeans who, who see themselves as sort of avatars of the good. I don't know, you know, take, go from wherever you want. We can, we can run with that for a while. I think there's plenty. Um, so yeah, I mean, so Germany never, of course, never had like quite the level of lockdown that I think they had in France, Italy, Spain, that sort of thing. Um, there was never like any sort of, you know, you must stay inside your apartment and you have to fill out like a permission slip in order to, to go out. And I think, um, for probably obvious political reasons, like they could never do Mm. something like that Mm. in Germany. Because of like Nazis? And communists also. Yeah. I would say it's a a double, it's a double Double whammy. whammy. (laughs) Um, so describe the lockdown to us. So when when we talk about Germ- Germany's quote unquote lockdown, yeah. what was it like, like living under that? Um, so I mean, and, and it's still ongoing, of course, and it has been. They're like going into like month five or six wow, okay. now. Um, so I mean, you can of course you can go out whenever you want. You can be outside, um, but there's just nowhere to go because all this all the shops are closed and have been for like Wait, f- five or six shops? months. So grocery stores are open, um, but that's it. No, you know clothing stores um museums any other kind of everything else is is shut down and and no restaurants or bars are open. no so for so you can restaurants are open for takeout but what they did is of course you know last summer like all the restaurants were allowed to have outdoor seating and that sort of thing and then in the fall they shut that down so restaurants don't even and cafes and that sort of thing don't have any outdoor seating anymore so you just can't time out time out Wait, are you being serious? I am being absolutely Wait, serious. Wait, so for five or six months, yeah. even outdoor cafes, no. mm-hmm. you cannot sit? No. Yeah. What, do, what do people do for fun? They, You can go sit in a park. You can take walks with people. I think have sex in parks. We're talking about this with Germans <laughs> anyway. But it's also bonkers because we know that outdoor transmission is extremely rare. Right. What is the justification for this? That's a very good question. I think people are really wondering what the justification is, was. I mean, you know, in the winter, for example, like in December, when some of this stuff went into effect, like the n- case numbers were going up. Um, and it was Christmassy, and usually they have Christmas markets there, which are really amazing, actually. If you haven't been to a German Christmas market, you just don't, un- you don't even understand. <laughs> um, and they had, um, you know, these uh, Glühwein where you can gather outside and drink hot wine. So they shut all that down because they thought it would, you know. And they, they have pork stalls. They just like, Give people pork. Is this why in the Christmas something, market something like that? They give people alcohol and pork, and that's what you just do at the Christmas market. For you, those of you who that's are that's very reductive, but actually, it's an amazing <laughs> magical experience. Are all the sausages porked? They must have. Like, There's some different. I mean, the Germans are very sensitive to this, and now that they have Muslims, they must have like Muslim sausages. Well, that's funny. I'm the Muslim sausage. <laughs> 
but yeah, but basically there is no there is no real justification, right, for shutting down any sort of That's outdoor. That's really hard. How do people yeah. accept this? I mean, I'm I'm just and I especially well, for the French who are more social and like going out and like you know drinking wine and stuff with and with their friends. But I'm just surprised that Germans or just Europeans in a variety of countries are able to accept not even having the the option of outdoor seating for like six or seven months. I mean, how how are they processing that? Are people freaking out? Is there a kind of pent up depression, mental? I mean, are, do you see more signs of people just really reaching their their boiling point? Well, I mean, there have been huge protests, yeah, right? I mean, exactly. the, there's like a German equivalent of QAnon, which is like the second biggest in the world after after. Well, what is it the called? The QAnon, the Querdenken. Was that, was that the one that was, there was a big article in New York Times about this a little while ago. Probably, They think yeah. that like, uh, you know, some neoliberal Jewish conspiracy with Putin yes. has created the anti Semitic explicitly? It's tied to it. I mean, it's like, it's got all sorts of conspiracies. Yeah. yeah, there's some anti-Semitism thrown in there, which is always sort of latently. But that there's like a conspiracy of like of Illuminati that have created the new German Reich or something, right? And it's like being governed and Merkel's in on it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And actually, there was an attempt to like storm the Reichstag, yes, which I happened that, yeah. in December, which was kind of like, you know, ooh, precursor to like yeah. the events here. In How much is that tied to folks uh, in the AFD on the far well, right so in Pegida? That's the interesting thing, because like some of those marches were just this really bizarre mix of it is tied somewhat to the AFD and to Pegida, but also to Greens and also to... To, you know, the horseshoe theory. Yeah, but also there were some weird, like, I don't know, reality TV stars, I guess not so weird, is yeah, it? who it's became, you know, who became also big, you know, followers of this. So it's, that's really been... And what were they, what were their um, policy... Um, per, what were they, what were they calling for in, in policy terms? An end to the lockdown? Yes, they were calling for an end to the lockdown, which at that point, of course, there actually wasn't too much of a lockdown. Um, but so they were calling for an end to the idea of prospective lockdowns in the future. Yes. And also that, of course, right, that it's like this big sort conspiracy, of conspiracy that the state is being yeah. lizard people are controlling it or something. And also, you know, controlling people's freedom has a very different history in Germany yeah. than it does mm-hmm. than it does here. So the idea of the government saying, you know, no, we're going to control, you know, we're going to take away your liberties and your that sort of thing. Um, it On has the- a. On the other hand, there is also a tradition of listening to what the government tells you and following orders. <laughs> I, I wonder if There's that's lots a, of traditions. I, I just, you know, I, I do wonder. You know, we we have all these 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 stereotypes about these things. I mean, I think Germans are orderly, but they have, you know, I it, it's it's I I you know, not having spent much time in Germany when I did, uh, you know, my two trips with uh, uh, former editor Jeff Gedman to Germany, to, who's working on a book on AFD and stuff like that. And we were talking to him. We were traveling around East Germany and stuff like that. I was I was uh, pleasantly surprised by how how quirky and and, you know, how how these traditions of resisting authority and the mythologies of them, like, you know, are tied to recent history and, and, and all of it, you know, and, and the sort of discontent with it. So, I mean, I, I think it's just complicated, you know, more complicated than, than, than not more complicated than I, yeah. (laughs) You made it out to be. Well, how about, tell us a little bit about, um, just let's say more like middle of the road Germans who are friends of yours or colleagues that are less on the extremes. Right. How are they processing it? Are they comfortable or are they, I mean, how do they view the lockdowns that have been going on for many months now? I mean, I think everyone's very, I mean, I mean, I think people are tired of it. I think there's, 
there was this article in the Times that everyone read about this idea of languishing, right? Like, yeah. I think people yeah, are really. Yeah. I think it's really. It's Which really Jameer getting... made like a snark comment on Twitter about <laughs> <laughs> mental health. Yeah. He, I, mean, I think, I think just, really... just so people are aware, I think Demir said on Twitter, the biggest mental health issue in America is the fact that people are so obsessed with their mental health issues, yeah. which seems tautological, but also perhaps true. All tautologies are by definition true, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, for example, so, I mean, part of this, right, is that is that um, my understanding is that like the the british variant has become the most dominant one now mm. in germany right so that means that even in spite of like increased uh measures that the cases the case numbers are still going up and they they went down for a while but now they're going up again the hospitals are, hospitals are full full really it's reached yeah. yeah 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 and this is really this is really you know was a point of pride of course for germans last summer that they were doing so well and that they were doing you know i think numbers wise i think they still are doing relatively better than like france and belgium and but that like ICU capacity is like yeah. a major red flag. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've, you know, they've reached that point. So I think everyone was really concerned about that. And then over Easter weekend, Merkel was going to impose this extra uh, five-day lockdown. And there was huge, you know, people just said like, oh, how Extra, else? but like what, how could it be extra well, if they're already like not allowed to go anywhere besides was, a park? That was exactly the question. It's like, what, we've already been doing this for, you know, four or five months at this point. What else do you expect us to do? And I guess the idea was like, oh, we're going to, we're going to shut down the supermarkets also, which just what? didn't make any sense. I mean, that's also not where people are getting sick or they were going to impose a curfew, you know, but it's like people aren't like going out and partying at night. Like that's not how, that's not how it's Where spreading. are people getting sick? I mean, what's even theory of this, that? Yeah, this has been like a, a puzzle to me that I can't. So countries that do really strict lockdowns, they still have pretty high case counts. And I'm just wondering, yeah. do we have any, do we have a better understanding of how people are actually transmitting COVID? Because the idea is that if you're not seeing your friends and you're not going to like indoor places and you're just hanging out in parks, it, this has been honestly one of the most vexing aspects of the pandemic. And I haven't seen an article that really yeah. addresses this in a straightforward way. How are the case counts so high yeah. if people aren't really doing much? In Croatia, there was, you know, there was a, a strong correlation when I was there. Like the numbers were going up. They locked up down and they like made intercity travel impossible and all the rest of this and by the time i was leaving numbers were, were down it collapsed yeah. but the weird thing is and i couldn't shake the same feeling that you had shoddy is that basically uh there's like that there were some exposed populations through which it burned through and then it like hit a wall and then you know uh it just collapsed on its own I mean, there's no way to prove it because, you know, you're not running an experiment on this. There was some correlation between lockdown and, and shutdown. And now it's going back up in Croatia as well. And yeah. it's largely because of the new British variant that's more transmissible. Yeah. But how does it burn through a particular community if the community isn't seeing each other that much? And every I mean, I, I that's what I just do, do. I don't know. I think I also like find that vexing. And I don't I mean, I think, you know, my impression is that it's partly it's like household transmission right or it's mm -hmm. like if somebody is still going to work in a supermarket or something and they get sick and they bring it home mm -hmm. or, you know so, I, I don't i don't but there's that question as well right and this is the thing that that like struck me from talking to ben in france is that everyone's going to work that's the other big difference between the united states uh whereas like you know there are people that have to go to work that work in either service industries or you know frontline workers as we define them here but still, you know, uh, most office workers are still telecommuting. Yeah. And that's not the case in France, as I understand it. I don't know to what extent that is the case 
in Germany that telework is becoming a real norm there. I think it is becoming. It is. I think in Croatia, people are still going to work a lot. So that's that's another really bizarre thing, right? Is that like people are going to their office but are stuck and can't do anything else. I mean, that's another just sort of absurdity of the lockdown, you know? So, I mean, the thing, the, the sort of distinguishing factor then in Germany, right, is like because they, you know, I think in the UK, like the case count went way up also. Mm. And that's what's happening in Germany also. But like, but in Germany, but in the UK, they started vaccinating people yeah, really right, quickly. Sure. And in Germany, they just, they haven't been. So I, yeah, I think that, um, and of course, there's this whole thing about like the fact that, that they like invented the first vaccine. Right, and, like, yeah. Arguably the most. A Muslim dude. Yeah. Yeah. So I... My, I, I speculate that like there is, as you were referring to before, I think there is a very sort of cultural, um, you know, it's, it's not culturally acceptable to express these kinds of like this kind of anger about Germans not being served by German, you know, German uh, ingenuity or German, you know, the things that they have accomplished. So they're like, not angry. They're not. They're not angry expressing that... ang- anger publicly. But I think I think people well, are. So pissed. so let's <laughs> let's then. I mean, talk to me about that because you know, again, the Shadi and I've been gloating about about the success of America on this, and Shadi's been at least pleased by how the left is now able to be at least partially proud of being American. I've been gloating about it. No one talks about how awesome Europe is anymore at all. And it just gives me a certain amount of joy (laughs) because I remember last year when people were, oh, if only we could be like Germany and France, look at them hanging out at cafes. Life is back to normal. The thing is, Americans also, because they're soft, they talk about how they've been living under quarantine and lockdown for like a year. There is not a single American I know who has been living under a lockdown for like the last 10 months. No, they, that's untrue. Uh, the thing is, like what, many, what, uh, se- several of our friends have lived under self-imposed, self-imposed psychotic, psychotic, psychotic yeah, lo- people lockdowns. who are neurotic yeah. Yeah. and yeah. are like scared of living yeah, right. have done their own personal lockdowns. Like, like when, Trump says in my own personal <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> okay, that's different. Yeah. But it's so it's funny because people like again it's a kind of virtue signaling. Oh, I've been in quarantine for a year. No, you have not. Yeah. Restaurants have been open since May. You can do you can pretty much do whatever you want. The only change in American life is the lack of l- large house parties that are over 50 people. Like that's literally the only thing Americans have had to sacrifice. This uh, maybe exaggerate America, of course, cuz I've been <laughs> I've been exaggerating slightly, um but that's not too far from the truth. Um, so, and we should be, I mean, we should be grateful that our per capita death rate is actually, um, better now than a number of countries in Europe, certainly the UK, I think probably, um, Italy and Spain. And I could be wrong. I don't want to, I, I'm not totally up to speed on the latest numbers, but the fact that we are at a better place now on a lot of metrics and we haven't had to experience six or seven months of partial or full lockdowns. I don't think Americans quite realize how better it's been for them just in terms of being able to live normal lives. But, you know, this is a preoccupation of mine. I don't want to overdo it. Yeah. So, so I mean, talk to me more about Europeans because I'm more interested in in that. I mean, whatever, Americans can self-hate all they want. Like, but like, is it's, you know, um, I guess what I'm curious about, what we were talking about, about that sort of German, which I also think is very much a European ideal of, you know, this post-nationalism, this kind of like guilty self-sacrifice and the rest of that. Um, And and to what extent then is 
any what I would think would be natural frustration with how uh, how the European Union has underperformed for its citizens yes. on the vaccine thing being sublimate, sublimated into this kind of weird, um, you know, almost, you know, secular Christ pose of like dying for the sins of the world or something <laughs> by their goodness or some nonsense, some, you know, European horseshit like that. Like, is, is do you sense there's some of that? That's one question I have for you. The other one is, is you know, um, something else that struck me in, in talking to Ben about this is uh, he said that, that uh, by and large, he had a sense that young people uh, also don't take the virus nearly as seriously as young people seem to hear. Like, they're like, well, you know, this is a big inconvenience. They're, they're living and dealing with it somehow more. Whereas here we have fewer restrictions, but we seem to be culturally much more dramatic about it. So I don't know, can you, can you react to either well, or both of those? At least in my, in my circle of, you know, like professionals or whatever in their 30s in Germany, I think people are, people are taking it pretty seriously Seriously. still Mm -hmm. i mean there have been stories of course about like parties being thrown at soho house and that sort of thing but soho um, house (laughs) yes that's where it would happen i think exactly um but but that's not that's not necessarily my your crew yeah my crew or my experience of it so So they were very so everyone's pretty cautious and everyone um i mean everyone's like pretty Serious about it. It's probably, they, it's they probably follow, more... like they do follow rules. I mm. have to say. I think like, yeah. I think more so than. I don't want to bite my tongue or anything, but like I think more so than there than than here. Like yeah. there's a sort of yeah. There's a sort of more wait rule, fo- rule they're more, following. They're more pious. Okay, yes. no, fair enough. But, they're more pious, but I feel like I mean you've seen how liberals are here in major cities. They are like obsessive about like yeah, but it's all sort of it's as you said it's self internal. Yeah, it's yeah. not it's about not following like a fear rules. of like authority or not doing... of authority, but like it's like a like a, a real. I mean, you know, there have been several articles now in the New York Times about people who are, have been vaccinated and they're having like a psychological barrier to actually go in and meet fellow vaccinated people. They're like, oh, is this okay? Do you know what I mean? Like that's like internal drama. And that's what I'm I'm sort of trying to plumb. It's like Well Europe we don't we don't know yet because there aren't enough vaccines. people who are yeah, no, exactly. to be able to meet. To even tell that. So yeah, and I just, you know, I've been like texting I have to say like I've been texting my friends in Berlin, you know, I'm like, oh I'm getting back next week and I'll be fully vaccinated. And I just I actually feel terrible because it's it's literally the vaccine that their tax money paid to develop and i that like drove to rural maryland crazy. where there is a glut of this vaccine and you can go and get it and they they not only they can't get it now they won't be able to get it in the foreseeable future wait like, for the foreseeable future n- no i mean but it's already at 20 percent, so i feel like it's it's actually getting to like somewhat significant numbers in germany right well yes but what's available mostly is the astrazeneca and vaccine people don't want that. well and also there's been this sort of you know flip-flopping in terms of well if you're you know if you're over 65 you shouldn't yeah, get it actually yeah. if you're under 50 you shouldn't get That's it confusing. There's like a, what is up with that con- that conflicting messaging about i mean i should clarify what i just said right now Take you, should, you should take whatever. Like, no, <laughs> no, I was joking. I mean, we have more options here in the U.S., but honest, I mean, as as I think anyone who's reasonable knows, the benefits of getting a supposedly less um, effective vaccine are tremendous, and it's still going to protect. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, go get the go yeah. get the, the the AstraZeneca vaccine. If, the J and J for our listeners who well. are in um, Germany or France right now. <laughs> but um, so you were saying, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there's this, they had the, you know, they had the the blood clot yeah. uh, issue, which, 
you know, which I realize is statistically insignificant, insignificant. And yet, you know, Denmark is not using AstraZeneca anymore at all. So, but so, I mean, what is the logic behind this? Like, I mean, how, how, I mean, Denmark, I don't, you you know, maybe not Denmark because you haven't Denmark because you haven't been following that very closely, but when it comes to this overregulation, which is going to cost lives, I mean, that's really what this comes down to. If you tell people not to take a vaccine or you block them from getting access to the AstraZeneca vaccine, it means more people will die than um, because less people are getting vaccinated and the, and the case counts are still relatively high. To be fair, though, Shadi, we're doing the same nonsense with, with J&J Yeah, that's right why now. I was very critical yeah, of that. Abs- it's absurd. But to be yeah. fair, now in the U.S., anyone who wants to get a vaccine, we're, now we're entering a phase where there's any, we may have too much of the vaccine yes. and not enough people to take it. And that's why appointments are opening up. And they're now trying to persuade people who are hesitant because that's where we're at now in the U.S., which is a great thing. But also it raises a new set of problems, which we're not really fully prepared for, is what do we do about this 40 percent of adults or 30 percent that are really not going to get it um, unless we find some way to persuade them? Where um, we're in Germany, the supply and demand is still in a completely different place than we are right now. But um, but no, yeah. I, I, but again, talk to me about the, the the if there's any feeling of resentment about well, so, both I mean, against the EU and against the United States being like better off at this. So at that's this point. where I think that this is again, this is my impression. Also, we have been under lockdown, so I haven't like seen that many people. Yeah. But my impression is that it's you know that there is a kind of. Um, social you know taboo against expressing that kind of resentment mm. um and i my, my understanding is that that it's that way in the press mm-hmm. so like if you you know if you are more conservative and you write something like that like you know in 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 the press there will be a big a big backlash, backlash. so there, it's you know i think that there is a kind of social taboo against expressing resentment or expressing expressing some kind of a you know national preference or entitlement you know and to be clear the, but, the press isn't as free in in most european countries we should also clarify that for our listeners that um when it comes true? to no i mean when it comes to like a freewheeling um press where you have a extremely wide range of opinions where people can kind of pick and choose and just go across the board and go to sub stacks and whatever else i mean we also have like a very vigorous alternative media that people have a lot of easy access to. There's also a sense of, um, and this this is an overgeneralization, but I think it's it's true by and large um, that media um, that media have a sense of um, how do I put this deference. So there's the social taboo that you're talking about that exists on the so, on the individual level when people talk to each other socially also exists in terms of a national debate. And and this is why America has always been seen as having a more vigorous and conflictual media um, and right and left and partisan debates. I mean, the AFD, for example, doesn't have much access to media, where here in the U.S., I suppose the argument could be made that the Trumpist right doesn't have a lot of access to media, but they still do have access to Fox News, to OAN, other places like that. Um, Facebook, Facebook in the U.S. is dominated by the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's website. So there are places you can go to. 
if you are on the far right where the AFD doesn't really... So if you're an AFD official, you can't really write an op-ed in the major center-right or center-left newspapers. They just won't... No. There's a cordon sanitaire where they're not going to allow you to be part of that mainstream debate. Yeah, and again, this is... I mean, again, this is very, this is very historical. A lot of this... I mean, I think it's interesting how much of this is, you know, for historical reasons that that in Germany, they're just much more willing to and they have the legal means to regulate speech in a way that just is unthinkable here. Got to protect democracy from the people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that is that. Or, yeah, protect people from democracy. Either way. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Both. But but again, you know, uh, there were there were murmurs. I know because Croatian media just like actually, since it's so stunted itself and small and underfunded, like gets a lot of stories just translated from German media. There were there were grumblings in December, I remember, about Europe having screwed it up. Has yeah. that died? And down? I think no, no. I think I mean I think that's still I think that's still very much very much the case. And there was a lot of yeah, there was a lot of grumbling about the about the German health minister for sure, and you know that that the Jens Spahn, indeed, and yeah. Jens Spahn. There's been some a couple, you know, sort of corruption cases in terms of friends getting getting uh, cozy contracts and that sort of thing. But no real questioning of of you know the 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 bigger structures, i.e., that well, the delegating some of these competencies to a supranational thing, this like post national construct, this bureaucracy you know, maybe suboptimal in some cases that... No, I think that there is, an, and that's why I think, I mean, you're. I think that you're going to see this now in elections, but right? But you're saying I mean, that I think you're it hasn't see. been expressed publicly all that much, but you feel it's well, building up. Well, I have to say, up. my German isn't great, so mm. I'm not, like, always reading everything in the German newspaper. No, but you're reading some of it. Your German <laughs> is good enough. Like, don't don't put yourself down. I mean, you're hanging out with Germans. And, yes, you know. but no, no. I mean, I think there is, no, no, I think there is absolutely... Because I feel like we had talked about this before in, in previous episodes, that if there is any in indictment of the European project. Actually, I don't think maybe this wasn't actually in an episode. I think it was at a gathering that you might have been at (laughs) where I think I said something like precisely that. If there's any indictment of the European project, it's pretty much this. I mean, this if you cannot rise to a certain level of performance in a during a world historical okay, whatever. (laughs) During a world historical pandemic then, like, what is the point of having having a supranational structure, or having technocratic elites on the national level that you've entrusted your welfare to, if they can't? Act, I won't use the word perform. If they can't actually rise, to, okay, whatever, whatever, rise to the <laughs> occasion. Then, what use is there? Doesn't that undermine the whole premise of the project? Am I being unfair? No, I don't think you're being unfair at all. I think that this, yeah, this is going to be like a major, major watershed moment for them. Absolutely. But what would they say? No, but but even I mean, even not what would they say? The interesting thing, though, is right, is that the the Greens are very pro-European, and they're they're. Well, but this is always. I mean, this is the perpetual thing about the European Union, right? Yeah. Like every time there's an EU election or whatever, there's always you know people vote against it, or people vote for you know protest protest parties, they vote for the National Front or whatever, AFD it may be. But in these surveys, there's always this kind of like, you know, majority of Europeans across the continent who are like, no, we like the idea of the European Union. We just don't like what it looks like right now. We want it to function differently. And nobody has really managed to come up with an idea of what that would look like. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I mean, like Ursula von der Leyen, I mean, she's, this is not any sort of a democratic. Tell us for our listeners uh, who that is. She is is the president of the European Commission who was essentially appointed to, that's the, 
anyone can keep the different bodies of the European Union straight. Like, but it's also telling it's, that it's, it's the, hard it's, to explain. And what even she Europeans does. can't explain it, right? No. It's not just me. Um, but that's like the executive body of the European Union governance uh, structure. And how is she selected? Well, I mean, essentially. From what I understand, it was like a kind of a backroom deal between Merkel and Macron. That's what I'm getting at. <laughs> it's it always un- is, right? It's undemocratic and unaccountable. Which is, you know, generally, I think, how a lot of people feel about the EU <laughs> government. But Yes, in, they but do in feel that. That's been the criticism, right? But you mean they like that about the EU? No, That's no. A- no, no. They don't okay. like about the EU. Okay. Yeah. And so this is a especially undemocratic, uh, yeah, undemocratic. Um, but but the interesting thing is then it's like you're not you're not sensing that, you know, the backlash for whatever reason has not materialized yet. Like maybe it's being murmured about, maybe it's, it's being, there's criticisms in the press, but you're not, you're not yet seeing it. I guess, I mean, you know, how, I mean, I don't know how you would see it except, you know, when there's an election or, well, I mean, just, you know, again, uh, it's, it's, I'll say again, anecdotally, uh, talking to my parents who then, you know, have their, their friends groups, like they're not focusing on, at least I don't hear it from them that they're focusing on, you know, the the, the abject failures of the EU. Yeah. And they're not even talking about, uh, you know, insofar as I'm in the U.S., they're like, oh, it's great. Things are going really well, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But they're not really focusing on it. And, and again, anecdotally, I mean, it, it, that's all I'm really asking about here is like, do you get a sense that there's um, that there that, that something's happening? Because, you know, I mean, I've just been thinking about it as we were as I was non preparing for this this conversation. Um that I, I could I could very easily imagine that while on some level rationally I would think there would be a big reaction against this and like a, a like a whole thing to question a lot of this I could very easily imagine the exact opposite happening that people just shrug and have this like well we were virtuous through it virtue didn't work out for us you know maybe we'll learn some lessons but they're not like really fundamental rethinks we have to make about any of this because. You know, again, I would think that the fact of Brexit and the fact that the Brits are coming out of this a lot stronger would also be like a slap in the face. But I'm not seeing much evidence of that either. Like like that the narrative is one of these are very technocratic mistakes that were made and like they can be tweaked and fixed, but nothing fundamental needs to be rethought about any of this. I don't well, know. Yeah, no, I think that that's fair, but I think that's also sort of part of the blah nature of the EU, right? It has neither a mandate to do more nor less. Like it doesn't, you know, there's no constitution, there's no, you know, anything like that. So in terms of, you know, going forward, like everyone was always talking about like a European defense force, right? I mean, after this, is anyone going to take, is anyone going to take that seriously? Is it going to move forward? I mean, I really, depends. I really doubt that. I mean, I don't know. I feel like the European sovereignty debate is still like alive and kicking, you know, and and I mean, watch, watch, watch Russia uh, take a chunk of Ukraine again in the, in the coming few weeks and see, you know, what that does to that debate. I don't know. You know, I mean, possibly it's just I, I'm, 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 I'm just coming around to the, the possibility that that this changes a lot less. Our friend Ben Judah wrote an article uh, how many years ago now, which was I think it was uh, something to do with one of BB's like many returns from the grave. Oh, wasn't it like uh, BB is on the right? No, it wasn't that BB was on the right side of history, but that- I was wrong. Was the name of it. it was in the Atlantic. I was like, I was wrong. And I've been wrong about everything. One of them was like the BB's on the verge of defeat. The other mm. one is that the EU is about to fucking collapse. But, it, but the bigger point was that BB is the future. What he represented or what he represents, which is 
right-wing ideological zero-sum politics that is the future and that is what is effective the 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 his argument was that things are more durable than most of us intellectuals like to think yeah, well, and not necessarily that like any one i don't remember the it's been so long i mean you should go back and look at it we can put it in the show notes people can look at it for themselves but like i i remember it being the real takeaway was we're always looking for these inflection points and we're like, well, this is going to do it. Well, COVID's going to totally transform the EU because the, the size of the failure is going to really impact. And I think that, 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 I mean, that's what I remember from, from Ben's article, which I, I've, I try and remind myself of that lesson is just like so many things are institutions aren't just these things that exist out there that like we interact with and have opinions about, but they also shape our, in, our interactions are shaped by them. And there's like a, a really ingrained feedback loop. So in many ways, I think one of the potentially surprising things of COVID will be that people are unhappy with it, but largely shrug and make sort of more surface level things rather than questioning what I think are very obvious lessons from Brexit and the United States and their well, approach I, to handling this. If I could sum this up, I would maybe um, simplify it in this way, that humans humans like change, but they also don't like change. <laughs> Which I suppose are the only two options. Well, there's no there. Sorry, are you? Is that no? No, no I, was, I was. I was offer some more profound <laughs> thoughts. To well, I would on like that. to jump in on what yeah. Demir was saying because I think there's no like there's no mechanism to express either you know approval or disapproval mm. of the EU except for elections which are coming up in a couple of years and which inevitably have sort of like a low turnout, right? Yeah. I mean that's like the nature of an <laughs> somewhat you know anti democratic bureaucratic institution, and I think. I mean, my my guess is that you're going to see the effects of this at the national level, right? That's where there is. That's where there is a mandate. That's where there is accountability. So, so, and I think in Germany, I think that you will absolutely see this because, you know, it's not it is an EU, you know, contract acquisition, you know, issue with the vaccine. But it's also there's a lot going on at the national level in terms of, you know, Germany having a year to prepare for vaccine distribution and not doing it right. German taxpayer money going into, you know, creating this really miraculous new technology with this vaccine. And then, you know, Germany or the EU, whoever failing to partner with the European drug company so that they would have access to be able to like there's there's all these failures that are going on really at the at the national level also and i think i, I think that's real so yeah. so i mean you know the the you're, you're absolutely right right i mean we saw that after the migrant crisis is afd basically out of as a you know reasonably fringe anti-european party kind of like orban they seized on it as a as a lifeline they re, they recreated themselves as an anti-immigrant party as opposed to just being an anti-brussels party and right. like an anti-brussels force you saw that across the european union's rise of these these parties it's a great opportunity for for these kinds of things to say this has been a failure but i'm not even seeing that yet and i mean maybe this is just a sort of weird journalism and reporting that's now just sort of suffusing everything but everyone's like uh Harping on the fact that, yeah, sure, the CDU and the CSU, the incumbent basically governing coalition has failed and they're going to pay a price on this. Yeah. But th that their comeuppance is going to come from the Greens by this young, very idealistic 40 year old woman who's, you know, the face of the new Greens and they're very, uh, pro all these things. I mean, all the stuff I'm seeing coming yeah. out of her branch of the Greens is this very sort of communitarian, Yes, we can together, Europe stronger, better. Um, 
you know, so that's not that's not again, that's not going to express itself as a vote against the European Union. It's going to express itself at best as a yeah. vote like the European Union's fallen short. So we have to double down on all these things. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's definitely true. But, you know, the Green Party is also evolving into something that it didn't used to be because it was it used to be a sort of one issue party. And now it's becoming, you know, it's having to sort of expand its platform. Right. It's still, you know, I mean, I think it's still um, it's still considered by people who, you know, by German voters who are, you know, mainstream voters or whatever, it's still considered to be a kind of like extra system yeah if that outsider makes sense. party yeah, yeah. A criticism yeah. party. and i mean you know th- you have this happening in france to some extent also right with the like which is it's a little bit different but like with the the current polling with the national front and that sort of thing so i think i mean i think you are going to see politicians who are in power being punished but it's true that it's not necessarily like a not everyone's not going to go rush over to the to the AFD. Again, you know, just evidence for my case of like the status quo again is that 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 at least even in these weird, you know, it wasn't even an election, it was some sort of inter inter-party CDU CSU fight between Lachey and how do you pronounce the other guy's name? Soder? Yeah. Is, yeah. Yes. Their yeah. fight uh, at least Soder was was the kind of conservative that could have mounted a yes. a kind of like nastier like Absolutely. you know, harder edge thing. But the they voted for for the weak guy, for the the I mean he's he loves Russia so he's he's sort of problematic in his own ways but you know he's 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 the sort of the softy of the conservatives they they ended up with him yeah so again it's like there was there wasn't even an option there to go for the the I mean there was an option but there was a decision an explicit decision not to go for the guy that could be like yeah we screwed up and we're gonna mm, you know like really just like hit it. So I, again, I'm, I'm 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 baffled by that. And then on the French question, you know, you, you bring up Front National. Uh, I, I I seem to remember you wrote like a, a profile of um, that that Trumpy figure Zamour at some point, yes. right? It was yeah. amazing. Um, Thank you. <laughs> but but uh, uh, where's he? Like you know? Oh, he is all over the place. Because the thing about about Le Pen and and whatever they're called now, they're not called uh, Front National, right? They're called Ra- something National else. Rally. National Rally, right? she's she's about like she's as as establishment a far-right figure as you can imagine whereas Zemmour represents the real trumpy energy right absolutely so so why is why is he not like basically barnstorming right now he actually he is, is i he? mean there's like i i still get a google alert for him which oh, i can't nice. say that in, in polite company but mm-hmm. i do and he i mean there's like he's all into this, the great replacement and all that he right? is yeah you and know. there he is there all is all this talk about him Running. running but mm. i think you know i think he's polling pretty low pretty low at this point but 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 like what's the point of voting for the national front or rally or marine le pen now that macron is basically as anti-islam as you can possibly get without being like fucking crazy i mean it's sort of like it's a smart move i suppose although you know problematic and immoral and all that but you know because, politics is politics well my argument would be that you could you could now stake out the position that the european union has failed catastrophically on 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 viruses never mind the muslims never mind the muslim virus talk about the the other virus <laughs> well i mean look i mean but that's also the thing i mean macron injects islam into the public debate in yeah. a way that german leaders don't True. so parties and politicians have agency they set the terms of the agenda so that's why in austria and france islam is still like very much at the top of the the the, the agenda where in germany and this is good because um parties choose not to because well, right that's well, yeah, why they the ruling went party for the hasn't chosen guy. to make that the number one issue so that yeah. it's shifted 
to other issues like climate and uh, how to deal with COVID. And that's good. And that's what's, I think, helped the Greens rise because, I mean, Greens don't really have much to say about Islam or Muslims or integration. That's not really what they're known for. They're for integration, though. I mean, but but in a, yeah. they don't talk about it a lot. They don't go into a lot of details about that. So I think this is a really important lesson that how parties um, prioritize issues shapes the national debate in a way that can either help or hinder far-right parties. And this is precisely why the AFD in Germany is not gaining as much ground because Muslims aren't as much in the forefront. And that's smart. So if you want to think about how to limit the traction of a party like the AFD, you just stop obsessing about Muslims and Islam and stop making Islam into a problem to be solved. That's interesting. But I, I, I don't what I don't understand. That's just a dovetail to your question is why isn't AFD now not pivoting away from Islam and going on like an, a properly anti-European crusade about about the virus? Just because like that's not the, that's not. Well, that's my question. Why is the virus not a thing? Because it should be because rationally it's a failure. To me, I would be furious about this. And if I was a, a politician of any salt over there, but maybe I don't understand politics. That's why I'm not a politician. But like my if I would, I guess I love, I love the idea of me being a demagogue. I love the idea. Like it's, it's my fantasy to be like a demagogue. If I was trying to be a demagogue in Europe right now and I would just be going after Brussels, I'd be going after von der Leyen for killing hundreds and of look, thousands of citizens. And it would probably fail, Demir. Why? COVID is not an effective wedge issue in no European country that I'm aware of has COVID been That's an my effective question. wedge issue. Why? That's that's ultimately the question I've I've had this whole this whole conversation well, we've had. I don't know. I mean, that may yet. I mean, I think that's a really good point. But that, up until now, I think it's fair to say that it hasn't. Become yeah, but that. also that's because Brexit was viewed as a total disaster. I mean, that also may change, and maybe we'll maybe we will see that change. But once like the whole Brexit thing like just took over British politics, and it was such a disaster. It wasn't. Like, I mean, the Brexiteers were the more the most prescient people. Like whoever got the future right, it was the pro Brexit people. Okay, well that's still debatable. And and also, Is there it? hadn't been a pandemic. Like, yeah, but there was a pandemic. No, no, but that's interesting. I mean, just to get to that point, because I think that that for Europeans, that's exactly right, Shadi. Though, is that why it hasn't been? I think that's another tell why, why to a certain extent, uh, this this moral faith in the EU as a force for good is trumping all of this stuff. Because again, rationally, I think. Uh, a lot of this stuff should be impacting politics. And the fact that it's not, the fact that what Shadi is saying about Islam, uh, as opposed to, you know, demagoguing the virus, why I'd be a failed demagogue in Europe right now, is because uh, there's something else going on here. And I think it's tied to this idea of virtue in the EU that is that is still holding. I don't know if it, if it snaps at some point. It may not. It just may not. Okay, guys, I hate to do this. I kind of have to run. <laughs> you have to go break fast? Oh, yeah. You know about Ramadan, Damir? No. What is it? <laughs> we should have a Ramadan episode at some point. You can explain it to me. But this will be a bonus. Just me bonus. and you, and you can talk to me about Ramadan. <laughs> me trying to convert Damir, basically. Yeah. I mean, that's the theme of this podcast. <laughs> the ultimate goal, if you will. Elizabeth, thanks for joining us. This yeah, has been, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, this, this has is been great. really fun. We should yeah. have her on again. Yeah, so you're, I, we're not going to tease the subject of your next article, but we had actually planned to yeah. have you on. Uh, but your article's not done yet, so no. <laughs> we will have you on when Thanks the article is yes. uh, is ready from uh, uh, from Germany. No, having we'll heard in. a little bit about it, I think it's going to be a really good article. So we definitely have to talk about that more. And it's like straight straight in our wheelhouse here. It's stuff oh. we talk about all the time. So that's all the teasing we, you're going to get. And for we the... forgot to do our marketing pitch. 
Uh, you should subscribe. I'll just do it right now. Yeah, okay, guys. Okay, you you do probably want part two of our episode with Glenn Greenwald, and part two was fascinating. We got a lot, a little bit more personal. We talked about whether Glenn is a man of the left, whether he thinks America is exceptional. We had an interesting exchange precisely about that. We're doing the Friday essay. Every single Friday, you'll get a new essay from Demir or I or an occasional special guest, and that's for subscribers only. We're very excited about the content that we're ramping up. Please do support us if um, if you like what we're doing at wisdomofcrowds.live slash subscribe. Thanks for, thanks, for, thanks for being with us, and thanks for listening. Thanks for being you. And Elizabeth, <laughs> thank you for joining us. This yeah, was thanks fun. so much for having Indeed. me. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.